Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park When it comes to weight loss, no two people are the same. That's why Noom builds personalized plans based on your unique psychology and biology. Take Brittany. After years of unsustainable diets, Noom helped her lose 20 pounds and keep it off. I was definitely in a yo-yo cycle for years of just losing weight, gaining weight, and it was exhausting. And Stephanie. She's a former D1 athlete who knew she couldn't out-train her diet, and she lost 38 pounds. My relationship to food before Noom was never consistent. And Evan, he can't stand salads, but he still lost 50 pounds with Noom. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. Even through the pickiness, Noom taught me that building better habits builds a healthier lifestyle. I'm not doing this to get to a number. I'm doing this to feel better. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom users compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. gentlemen chris voss is on the show today he's got a book coming out beacons of leadership uh thanks for being here thanks for having me i certainly appreciate it did i get the tickets to the linder skinner concert i was calling number 17 oh yeah yeah number 17 works yeah <laughs> is, that, yeah. is that your favorite number no i just <laughs> when i was a kid i grew up with a radio and you know you'd call in i uh, got you so let's we'll start off um you know you you uh you ate over 800 episodes podcasting now you got the book coming out you've also top what 50 Forbes um what made you what was motivation behind the book well how did you start writing that uh you know I I tried to write a book about 10 years ago but the iPad it just came out I think there's a letter I have uh that's around here somewhere from O'Reilly that said uh said you know with the current marketplace we're not we're not taking on new publishers and uh I've been messing around with doing a book for the last uh you know 10 12 years and oh yeah I'll write it this week and uh uh, I just never did get it done. And then over coronavirus, it gave me a wonderful opportunity. One of my friends, uh, came up with this competition of, uh, where you, you write for an hour a day and everybody keeps track of it on a, on a document and everyone writes an hour a day. And it's like, it's kind of like a accountability sort of format. And okay. so, uh, I started doing that, started writing all my stories and, and, uh, then it just became something, of course. So have you always been a writer? 
Or is this just um, you decided to during the pandemic just to? I've always been a writer in the fact that I've always been uh, a big mouth. So I write on social media. I've uh, always written stuff uh, going back to my childhood when I started writing little poems and prose for my friends in fourth grade. Uh, I didn't really ever think of myself as a writer, uh, although I, you know, wrote a lot of long Facebook posts and, you know, other things, blogs and th- things of that nature. Um, and I, 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 you know, I, I just didn't think I was ever skilled at it, but uh, that's what editors are for, right? Yeah. that's. I mean, I've never really wrote anything in my life I'm, except, uh, you know, a couple of uh, essays and from a master's degree and uh, but other than and obviously college. And then that was one of the reasons why I didn't go on to get my doctor's just because I didn't want to write uh, <laughs> anymore of, you know, write all the dissertation and all that good stuff. So, but I just, I, I admire people who can sit down and write, especially a book. It's, you know, it's gotta be, it's time consuming. There's a lot of skill into it. And yeah. You know, I, I, I've lived an interesting life. I started a, as an entrepreneur at uh, 18 and uh, I've always been kind of a what they call a griot in uh, Africa times. Back in the day, before we had ways to write stuff down, there would be a local historian that would be in the tribe, and that that guy would be or gal would be the person who would keep the history of the tribe and pass it down and tell everybody, and then pass it to the next uh, historian. And so I'd always been telling all my stories because I've had all these adventures, but uh, you know, multitude of corporations that we built, a little empire all the different things of my adventures of all these years and the interesting things that happened to me and lessons I learned from them, uh, good or bad sometimes. Uh, and so what I did for years, I've been telling these stories and I'm like, I got to put these in a book. I got to put these in a book. And um, I knew they would eventually, you know, go into a book. So that's what I did. I finally put all my stories that I've been keeping and repeating and driving my friends crazy. Yeah. I've heard that story, Chris, again. Um, and just put them into a book, and um, there it goes. It was re- it was kind of easy to blast out the first thirty five thousand words because it was just telling all the stories that I've been repeating to myself to try and memorize them, and then trying to remember old stories. But yeah, I have a lot of respect for people who write books. Uh, I have a lot of people who write books on my show, and uh, I've always respected them because I've had a lot of friends that are authors. But going through the process, uh, you really respect the authors after all this stuff. Yeah, really. So, especially after editing. <laughs> <laughs> so, when you were writing, did, was it an hour a day, or did you force? It started yourself? out. It started out as an hour a day. Okay. And uh, you kind of played a game with your head where you went, "Well, um, I'll write an hour a day," and then you get done to the hour, and you're like, "Oh man, that's this like really hard." Uh, hour a day. <laughs> you're just like, "I'm not going to write anymore because I'm going to save till tomorrow." And you're com- kind of competing with your friends a little bit, uh, not really because I knew I wanted to do a book. But having that having that uh, accountability sort of program, yeah. I did a thing years prior where I lost a lot of weight, uh, about 75 pounds, and I would post every day my weight, scale weight. And uh, that would be an accountability factor for my public because they would know if I cheated the day before because they'd be like, how many burgers did you have yesterday, Chris? You went up five pounds. Nice. So uh, that kept me honest, if you will. And so this did for a while and more and more as it just flowed out, I got to 20,000 words, 35,000 words, and then uh, to 50,000, 60,000 words. It, it became, it started to take on a life of its own and start looking like some sort of structure. And then there's a certain point where you, you're just kind of playing with it as a puzzle, moving pieces about and what's the structure of the story. And, and uh, so that's, that's how it all came together. And then it really became 
it's like, I need to get this done because I could see that the COVID uh, thing was kind of, well, <laughs> it's kind of funny to think about right now, but it was yeah. kind of wrapping up or we thought it was wrapping up. Let's put it that way. And I'm like, I get this done because I got events in August and September and October that I got to do to travel. And so I, I can't be sitting at home writing. So then I started really stretching myself where I was writing like eight, 12 hours a day. I mean, the July 4th weekend was just three days of no vacation writing, seeing everybody playing. And, uh, that's how it came together. Did you, all right. So there's a book, uh, it's like, it's like the art of work. And, it just talks about, I think it's the actual name of it. I hope I just didn't mess that up or butcher that. But anyway, you, it's like you sit down and you just start writing. And sometimes it's almost writer's block and that you just had nothing is coming to you. You're having trouble. Then all of a sudden you just start writing and the muse finds you. Yeah. And is that, did you ever have any deal, you know, writer's block or have, you know, uh, uh I did after the first 35,000 words, I kind of had a wall. Damn. Um, I like, like I said, like a griot, I'd been repeating these stories over and over again. My friends were just sick of hearing yeah. the stories, but I, I didn't realize that all my life I'd been repeating these stories because not so much I was trying to impress other people, but I was trying to remember them. Okay. And so much had been lost over, uh, you know, I'm 53 now. And so a lot of them had been lost in the darkness and, and sometimes when I'm telling the stories to people, I'm actually trying to figure out what I'm missing from the story or what I've forgotten. And uh, and so it was e really easy. I just pretty much blew out, out 35,000 words. I just started That's pounding impressive. out on my stories. But then after that, it, uh, you know, it started having to take a format where it's like, what's what's in the story? So, yeah, but uh, yeah, it was pretty interesting. So in your past, have you all right? So the, for everyone listening and watching it, the book is called Beacons of Leadership. I can't remember if I said that earlier, but so have mm -hmm. you always been in leadership roles, you know, growing up and or mm -hmm. try to find yourself to get into those roles? I certainly have. Uh, I've been a CEO of my company since I was 18, started my nice. first company. And I talk about the book. Uh, the book's called Beacons of Leadership, Inspiring Lessons of Success in Business and Innovation and should be out October 5th. Um, people can get goodies at beaconsofleadership.com that, uh, much better than what you can get off of Amazon, but you can order it anywhere. But, uh, I'd always been a leader. I always been a CEO. We built a multitude of companies. Uh, once you get that drug of being an entrepreneur, it's really hard to get off that drug. Uh, it's, it's, you, you work for other people and they do stupid stuff and you're mm. like, how the hell did you get this job? You're a moron. And so I'm sure <laughs> everybody who's worked for other people have, I've had that experience, uh, but it's worse when you're, when you've been the guy, the CEO and, and the person who's used to making those decisions, and you're like, this person is an idiot and I have to follow them around. Are you kidding me? Um, and so, uh, I've always been in leadership positions. So what I sat down in the book is I started, you know, a lot of my stories are lessons. Uh, there's a lot of them that are kind of Harvey McKayish, you know, swim with the sharks, mm -hmm. uh, beware the naked man who offers your shirt. If you ever read those books, they're kind of lessons from my business experience that I share with people. And, uh, it's kind of a broad vision too. Uh, you know, we were all C corporations at one time. We had over a uh, hundred employees working with us uh, at Cincinnati Bell. When I ever saw Cincinnati Bell facility, there was over 800 employees. And so it was kind of uh, all of my different lessons and tricks and kind of what you have as an entrepreneur or a CEO is you kind of have a toolbox of like axioms that you work. Like for me, back to the basics, uh, there's another thing I write about in the book called um, – called the crazy Ivan that I got from red October and how I use it. And so I put these together so that whether you're a CEO of a major corporation or maybe you're a middle manager, or you're someone who wants to rise up, 
whether or not you're a self-employed person who uh, wants to be more successful and a better leader in their business. Um, and I espouse the fact, too, that anyone can be a leader, and many people are. You're a leader of your podcast. Uh, you're probably a leader of your family and your children. Uh, and they see you as a leader. Usually, hopefully they see you as a leader because once, once the kids don't see you as a leader anymore, then you're in deep <laughs> trouble. Once they determine that they're running the show, then, uh, yeah. And then, then the, what is it? The patients are running the, the same. Yeah. Zone. Yeah. So that's what I put into the book so far. Well, you know, I mean, it's very bold and, you know, I, I love entrepreneurs just because you're taking that chance and you're risking, you know, you're risking everything. You know, you might not even get, you know, that steady paycheck, you know, every other week or whatever. And, so, I mean, it's, you know, you're taking a big risk and just hoping it works out. And, you know, usually I find myself learning from my mistakes when something does fail and you go back and continue on forward and you got to keep grinding and pushing. You find yourself up against that wall and you got to push through. And, uh, yeah, you know, and just also being an entrepreneur, you're, you, you are your own boss. And mm -hmm. that's one thing I've always, you know, I, I'm still, you know, working full time and I probably will be for a little while longer. But, uh, yeah, but yeah, I've always just admired people who, if they just said, now I'm going to quit the nine to five and go out on my own. You know, the thing about my book that's great too, is it helps people like you that work for other people mm -hmm. to still feel like they're a leader. It, it talks about several different aspects of leadership. The top five that I think are important, uh, passion, uh, communication, uh, integrity, trust. Uh, there's a couple others that are in the book. And, uh, but it talks about how to do that because a lot of people look from, uh, you know, telling people what to do uh, or bossing people around. They think of it from a very push aspect where a leader is very different. Uh, a leader is someone who paints a beautiful vision of where we're going. You know, he's the shipmaster, the ship captain who, you know, looks through his spectacle and says, I think land is over there. Turn the ship that way. We're all going that way. And he sells the vision to the sailors to go, here's where we're going. Here's why we're doing it. Let's all get in, in this. And I talk a little bit about, you know, Steve Jobs used to have this thing that they used to call where he could suspend reality. He could have a distorted reality field. And a lot of leaders do that. You know, uh, Elon Musk, uh, moonshot sort of stuff like with John Kennedy, where John F. Kennedy said, we're going to the moon and we're beating the Russians. And, uh, you know, the part he didn't say was, we don't know how, and uh, <laughs> but somehow we'll get there. Yeah. You know, and that's what true leaders do. They set they set this far vision that's out there to go. And so whether that vision is with you and your family of what you want to achieve and where you all want to go together, or maybe you're a middle manager to work and you want to set higher goals for yourself to go, or maybe your team and your middle management, at whatever level you are, sometimes we're accidental leaders where you know, a fire breaks out and just someone, one of us just goes, Hey, we need to get buckets and organizes the whole yeah. thing. So there's also just different aspects. And I, and I give people all my tips and tricks that I used. And so hopefully no matter where people are in their lives, they can see themselves as leaders. They can kind of feel more empowered, mm -hmm. which is really important to, for people to feel. And they can feel like, Hey, I can actually make a difference, even though I'm not the CEO of a multimillionaire company. Yeah, no, I agree with you that I do think a lot of people have leadership qualities within them. It's just a matter of getting them out and out of your shell and finding yourself in a situation. You know, for example, just in a couple of my interviews, uh, you know, I, I work for the uh, in higher education, and that you know, mm -hmm. one of my first interviews, uh, you know, I had in the interview somebody asked me what my leadership style was, and mm -hmm. I had no idea what to say. And mm -hmm. you know, a lot of people might say situational, and there's dictator. 
leadership and I mean, which I'm not saying that's great or anything, but just, I remember just, I went down a rabbit hole of like, okay, next time I get this question, I got to look up some stuff. And and just like you said, when somebody, you know, you might have a weird situation come up like a fire breakout and somebody's just, all right, we got to get buckets and pour this, get this thing out. Just that's where people might find themselves and it might resonate with them. Oh, this is, this is working out for me. I do have some leadership qualities. You know, I helped organize this. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'm looking at the ribbons behind you. Were you ever in the military? Oh, no, no, no. Uh, those are also, uh, well, yeah, they're all, uh, I do CrossFit. So, oh, okay. Uh, yeah, cool, so uh, I, cool. I compete in local competitions, and a couple of those I've done some Tough Mudders and Savage nice. Races. Congratulations. Yes. Oh, the Mudders. Oh, wow. Yeah. Jeez. So, uh, that's a, yeah, that's I just, a, yeah, yesterday I had a CrossFit competition. That's why we had to postpone this a little bit. So, uh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So did I. I was uh, down at the burger joint, uh, seeing how many <laughs> fries I could put on my face. Well, I wanted to ask you about um, you talking about uh, you said when you said you were putting a weight up, you, you know, you would show your weight every day, and mm-hmm. that held you accountable. Like, was there a certain type of fitness regimen you were following then, or was it just diet? Or? Uh, it was just diet, no. uh, intermittent fasting. One of my friends is uh, Crazy Ray, who. Uh, uh, who, uh, was named in, uh, Paulette, uh, uh, John Paulette? No, Pinette, uh, the guy from, um, oh, frick, it's Las Vegas. Uh, I don't know why his name is blowing me, but there's, uh, uh, those two guys in Las Vegas. One doesn't talk. John Paulette? John? I don't, I don't know. know I'm not sure. Me. Anyway, he wrote a book called Presto. And in the book, he talked about doing intermittent fasting, lose weight. He didn't exercise. And I literally just started intermittent fasting, pulled in a little veganism where I started just, you know, staying away from heavy meats. Yeah. And, uh, and I lost, I was losing two or three pounds a day. I quit drinking, of course, all the Mountain Dew I was drinking every day. That was, that was another thing. And I just went full vegan. And, uh, uh, yeah, I lost like, I was losing like two or three pounds a day. Every, every woman on my Facebook friends list was pissed at me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and uh overall i just i mean it just literally just <clears throat> went down i just recently did it again where i just lost 60 pounds nice, and inter- intermittent fasting and and stuff and uh yeah so so what times were you not eating was it you know mornings you know wait until two o'clock you know the day the, or every- i just pretty much listen to my body so what i do is i go to sleep at night you make sure you don't eat before you go to bed at night you know you you try and block it out to where you have two meals a day yeah. And uh, what I do is I drink coffee in the morning. I drink some really powerful Death Wish coffee. Uh, it's called. And, well, wait, uh, is it really caffeinated? Be, I think. Yeah. Yeah, it's supposed to be the most yeah, caffeinated okay, I know coffee ever. About, yeah. I don't know. I don't know that for a yeah. fact, but. But it has a skull it, and crossbones on the cover, logo. Yeah, uh, it seems to work. <laughs> I should be getting paid for this by them, shouldn't I? Um, so Shut I up. drink usually one or two cups of that in the morning. And then I make sure and drink a lot of water. A lot of people don't realize that losing weight is is usually, or when you're hungry, sometimes you're not really hungry. You're just dehydrated, mm-hmm. and so you drink lots of water and you go as far as you can. Uh, I have some bone broth. I have these little things of bone broth that I get from the store, and so if I'm hungry, I'll eat those. I'll drink one of those. You know, 45 calories yeah. gets me through. But uh, you know, what was really interesting. Was, uh, and then I just eat when I, when I finally am like, I need to eat before I kill somebody, you know, I'll just go eat and, uh, I'll eat like a nice, normal, light meal. I try not to eat anything too big. It doesn't really matter what I ate, but I, I did try to eat vegan both times as much as I could. I like, uh, caprese salads. Those are usually really good. Just really stay light on the oil because oil isn't that great for you. 
but you know, you can sprinkle a little bit on there. <laughs> and, um, um, you know, that, that worked for me and, uh, I lost weight. And what was nice is I talk about this in the book. What was nice is it influenced a lot of people. I mean, I became this weight loss leader, even though mm-hmm. I wasn't like being a guru or anything, but you know, it helped inspire people and people were motivated by that. And they're like, how did you do that? And you're like, I did it this way. And, um, yeah, it's pretty simple. Really? Yeah. I know this people hate me saying that because they're like, it's supposed to be complex. It's like, it's not. It's, it's really just, not. It's just, you know, <laughs> put yourself on a calorie deficit and, you know, move around a little yeah. bit and your body's going to adapt to it. It might take a little bit. But yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, we, you said something about COVID earlier and a lot of people are finding out that, you know, these people with comorbidity is the reasons why they're having trouble with their bodies, you know, mm-hmm. fighting off COVID. And I mean, I'm not saying, you know, I'm not trying to, you know, dishonor anybody by saying that, but you know, it's just, it's, it's not hard. Just, you know, put down a plate, walk around a little bit and yeah. yeah and Even like, now I eat like half meals. Like I, last night I did go get a burger after working out. I was at the gym and I got a big ass burger with a lot of meat on it because mm-hmm. I wanted the protein and fries. I ate half of it and took the other half home and ate it later for another meal. Yeah. I mean, and that's fine. I mean, you know, I crushed some burgers today just because of that competition. It's like, I'm doing whatever I want. I don't care. But, well, you can. You're, yeah. you're in good shape. Appreciate that. But yeah, I mean, you know, t- using that as a style of leadership, you know, a lot of people go to a doctor and they'll come in and they'll be overweight or they're smoking. It's just like, I'm supposed to take advice from you. And it's just, yeah, it's just, you know, it's like, you know, lead by example almost. And it's the same, same way with, I mean, growing up uh, having a couple of PE teachers and, you know, I was just thinking, you're teaching physical education? Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, that was most of my PE. Yeah, I think I was. Yeah, the big old pot bellies yeah. and the shorts that were too small. I think a lot of people can relate to that one, but it's just, you know, hmm. You know, I don't, what's yeah. going on here? But How yeah. come I got to run four laps? Why don't you run four <laughs> laps, buddy? Yeah, seriously, though. Yeah. Yeah. So, but yeah, I mean, a lot of people, you know, you don't think that people are looking at that, but, you know, they're taking in what they're saying. So, and lead yeah. by example is a great one. And, and, and live by example, too, because people, you know, you can't walk around and be like, hey, you should be in better shape while you're eating that burger. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And they're sitting smoking a cigarette and just knocking <laughs> smoking down. Smoking a cigarette. Yeah. Knocking down burgers and drinking oh, a beer, man. which, you know, I mean, I don't mind all that myself. But I mean, if, yeah. I mean, you can if if you can if you're in shape, you know, uh-huh. you you can't probably do that all the time. But no. you know, for me, I eat one burger and you know, there's ten pounds right there that goes on the next day. I hear a lot of people just talk about how they eat just so or no, they work out just so they can eat whatever they want. And I was like, mm. that's like not, <laughs> that's like trying to that's like saying I work out so that I can smoke more. <laughs> right? Yeah. I mean, just, mm, I think that's how it works. But again I'm taking meth, but I work out, so I'm sure it's fine. Yeah, I think that cancels out. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, exactly. What I love is, uh, I don't know if you've seen this, but I've been going to the GNC store lately because I've, I've been buying the whey protein and stuff. Mm-hmm. They have like candy whey protein. They have like Oreo whey protein. They have like, uh, like birthday Twix. cake or something. Birthday and cake. Yeah. Those. yeah. I'm like, is, if you're taking that before and after your workout, are you really moving forward? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's uh, they make everything now. It seems like so, but yeah. you know, I don't know what they're packing into those things. But uh, but you know, I'm more of a chocolate strawberry whey protein guy myself. Yeah, I keep mean. it, I keep it simple. Yeah. But so let's talk about you know some of your jobs. I mean, like so these leadership styles. I mean, was there somebody you were looking up to um, in in you know in your life, and that's where you you tried to you know situate your leadership style, and you know, like, hey, I like the way he does things, or he or she does things, and. So early on in my, and I talk about this in the book, I lay out the whole path of okay. my journey. Um, but early on, I, uh, 
I had a choice of whether to go to college or continue my very first business that I accidentally started at 18. I, well, I didn't accidentally start it, but what happened is I got fired from my job at McDonald's. And I talk about this in the book. Nice. Um, I was working at McDonald's at 18. I was graduating from high school. My parents were poor and I'd flunked most of my school. And, uh, I had, I had, uh, uh, we knew that a Pell Grant was going to be for me to go to college. That was my key to going to college. My parents were struggling. Um, and uh, and they're just like, you're going to get a Pell Grant. You're just going to go to college like an idiot. And you'll probably have to work through college. Mm-hmm. And I, I had this uh, boss at my McDonald's who was, who was um, he really had it in for me because I was a rocker. And I lived in Utah, which is highly religious. And he didn't like me because, you know, I had like Iron Maiden shirts and Judas nice. Priest and Ozzy Osbourne concert t-shirts. And I did that because I was poor. I had to go buy my own shirts. My family was struggling. And uh, so I'd buy rocker t-shirts, you know, because I was a rocker and I had this long hair. And uh, so I was cooking at McDonald's and this the one of the five managers took a shine to bullying me. And, uh, he, he finally used to, he would pick at me. And then finally one day he goes, you need to cut your hair to keep your job here. And I go, why? And he goes, cause it's getting in the food and blah, 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 blah. And I kind of put him off for a couple of days cause there's rotating managers there at McDonald's. Yeah. And then he uh, saw me again and he's like, next time I see you, if your hair's not cut, you're fired. And I'm like, huh. And I went to the other managers. They're like, ah, you know, there's no works around here. And, uh, so I, really started thinking out of the box. Like I talk about in the book and I teach people about how to think out of the box and innovate in the book. And I thought, well, how come other people don't have to do this? And, and then I'm like, hold on, women have long hair that are working here. What do they do? So I took a look at what the women were doing that long hair and they would buy like this cheap hair bun that would go underneath their hat, their McDonald's hat, and it would curl up their, their long hair and hold it up. Yeah. And, you know, no one was the wiser. So I did that. I went and bought one and started curling my hair up, hiding it underneath my hat. And he was so proud of himself, he um, he didn't notice. He didn't realize what I had done. And he was happy. He's like, I won. I, I you know, neutered this dude with my bullying. Yeah. And uh, I was happy, too, because I'm like, I've outsmarted this uh, moron. <laughs> so, uh uh, a couple months went by, and one day he caught me in the back, putting my hair up or pulling my hair down out of the hair bun, and he was livid. And he was livid because he he thought he'd outsmarted me, but I'd outsmarted him, and that just made it worse. So he fired me on the spot, <clears throat> and um, yeah, I was I was I was uh, I was like, oh great, now what do I do? And here I am, supposed to go to college, and I, I still don't know what I'm going to do. I'm just this lost kid. And all my all my years of being a teenager, I'd help my father with his stucco plastering foundations business, and I knew the trade. I hated the trade, hated the work. Uh, you know, it was blue collar stucco work, but I knew the trade because I'd helped him all the summers working with him. You know, keep him out of our um, mom's hair during the summer. Mm-hmm. So uh, I came home, and he had since left the business, abandoned it, uh, and uh, but he still had like all the tools and stuff in the in the credit line at the uh, at the uh, at the builder supply, and so I said I don't know what I'm going to do. He goes, well, you got to get your stuff together. You're 18, man. It's time to ooh, get out of the house. And uh, uh, he said, why don't you do this? You know how to do my business, my subcontracting contractor business. It doesn't have any clients. 
there's nothing going on with it, but you know, I have all the tools you can use and you can go use the credit account to get whatever you need. And, uh, all you got to do is go hustle new clients and you, you know, you can make some money. And I didn't even know that I was starting a business. I didn't know that I was being an entrepreneur. No, like no one was like, you're about to be an entrepreneur. Uh, I just was like, Hey, I need some money, man. Yeah. And, uh, so I went and started the business and, uh, Unbeknownst, to me, and, and it was kind of hard because I had to go out and sell contractors, and they're looking at me going, "Who the hell are you? You're just some whippersnapper kid, and how do you not know what you know?" And so, in the book, I talk about a lot of different aspects of starting the company and how I won over their business. But in the end, about three months later, I had built an eighteen thousand dollar year business, which is pretty cool if you're sitting at home and you know you've got a car paid for and and you're you know. I mean, that's a lot of money, especially back in my day when I was 18. So I was able to go back and I tell the story in my book about how I went back to the McDonald's manager, asked for him to the counter, shook his hand and thanked him for improving my life and firing me. And it was one of those beautiful movie moments. And I basically said, you know, shaking his hand very kindly. I wasn't rude, but very nicely putting it to him that I now make more than you do. And... (laughs) And uh, I'm only 18. You're some guy, you know, with a wife and kids who's probably in his 20s or 30s. And uh, thank you very much for firing me. You gave me the best gift you ever could give me. And I never knew how great that gift would be until all these years later. And and uh, you just pinch yourself. You know, I like that, that, you know, you find these moments in life that, you know, uh, Matthew McConaughey wrote a good book called Green Lights. And that, yeah, and that just these little moments, you can see yourself just... So a light bulb goes off like in the cartoons above your head, like, oh, man, this is my moment to actually, you know, turn this into a positive attribute or whatever. And you found it. And that's, you know, and I'm always out there looking for like those opportunities or green lights. And like if something, when something like that happens, a lot of people just uh, either reject it or ignore it. And they just keep going on with their same steady lives. And but one thing is that, you know, I was talking to somebody uh, a couple shows ago and they said that a lot of people are scared to be successful just because they might be scared of that change or scared of you know, okay, what if this does work out for me? Then, then what happens? You know, yeah. and they're afraid to go down that road, you know, yeah. and not, I mean, I'm sure some people have had that, you know, happen and that it didn't work out the way they planned, but you know, stories like yours though, you know, look, yeah. I mean, and I went through that too, as, as you go up through the thing, you start breaking different, uh, uh, barriers that you have. Uh, Tony Robbins, I think refers to it as a thermostat. We, okay. We, we kind of have a certain temperature range that we were comfortable at, but going beyond that, we're like, yeah, I'm way out of my comfort zone. I don't know where I'm at. But, you know, what you mentioned earlier, I talk about my book, these times of adversity, times of adversity, times of struggle, times of hard change that's been put upon you, that's the best time to take inventory, be grateful for what you have, because that's all you have left sometimes, especially if you've gone through a loss of like mm-hmm. uh, people or things or whatever. The best thing to do is take inventory. Okay, well, I lost that. That's gone now. What do we have? What do we have as our inventory now that we need to be grateful about? And what can we build with what we have? You know, I mean, there's sometimes where I've lost things and I've just felt like I just have a couple sticks and I'm going to have to just rub them together for fire and warmth. And it just feels that way sometimes. And you've just got to do that. Sometimes I feel like a boxer who's been beaten to the mat and you're bloodied and, and, you know, thank God the bell rings and you can crawl back to your corner. And 
you're just buying time to get to the to the to the next round and and uh, hopefully you can patch yourself up and go but usually in those moments of adversity life is trying to tell us something i don't mm-hmm. believe in destiny like uh, so life or a giant pupper master in the sky to be decide to be a jerk to you one day a lot of times life teaches lessons because we haven't learned the lesson this is why it's important to pre-educate yourself and so what we have to do is sit, sit down and go what lessons do i need to learn from this like how, how can i do better what lesson can i what is this trying to teach me right now or what what can i learn or how can i take this moment and turn into something constructive a lot of what happens to us in life is, isn't so much what happens to us, it's how we respond to it. Because you can sit all day and cry about it and go, oh, boo-hoo, poor life is mine. You can spend the rest of your life carrying that cross going, oh, I'm a, you know, this happened to me in 1975 and I've been dragging this thing for yeah. 50 years. Or you can sit and go, how can I, you know, make lemons or lemonade out of lemons you know, and you can go, where is this? And that's really, those key moments are really important to sit down and go, what do I have as an inventory? How can I make this better? And uh, hopefully you come out of it. Yeah, I mean, I agree 100%. You know, like you said, you know, you moments in life being feeling like a boxer just beats you down. But that's where <laughs> a lot of people like kind of find out when I say a lot of people. I mean, in my opinion, I would think that when you've been beaten down like that, that's where you find out who you are. You know, you find out, oh, yeah. I can just keep sitting down here taking these beatings or I can get up and do something about it and, yeah. you know, make a positive change in my life. And hopefully a lot of people do that. But yeah, can't say one, of the cool, one of the cool stories that I tell in my book that was extraordinary is my friend of uh, 13 years or my friend of 22 years, my business partner of 13 years, a man I could trust like Michael Colleon could trust his concierge um, beyond a shadow of a doubt. Uh, we'd been just ride and die buddies for 22 years, 13 years in business. Um, one day he comes into me and hands me the keys and tells me he's driven the, one of the companies we have that, uh, he was, uh, supposed to run. He's driven into bankruptcy and his hope is that it will take all the corporations into bankruptcy and he can walk free from the debtor corporation zone. Instead of just coming to me and say, Hey, I want to leave the corporation. Can you pay me some money to leave? He decides just to take everything out. And that'll absolve him of all the debt of corporations, which is idiocy, but there you go. And one of the problems I had for 22 to 13 of those years in business with him is I felt like he was always 50% of me. Like everything I did, even though I was always the visionary, the CEO, I was like, I, I couldn't operate without him. I needed him as the balance. We had this great dynamic where I could be the visionary, the creator. He would be the the guy I could give tasks to or different projects to or models to and go, you make that work. And he could do the redundancy stuff. He was mm-hmm. good at that. But you ask him to come up with a vision or a thought on anything. And he's like, I don't know, whatever you want to do, Chris. <laughs> so, um, but my ego or my, my value of myself was tied to him. And, uh, you know, Howard Stern had a similar problem with Jack, Jackie Matling, the joke guy, uh, where when Jackie left, he felt like, he'd lost his mojo and that Jackie was really a big part of his mojo. And what Howard Stern found was that, no, he'd really always been the guy. And that's what the cathartic moment that I had to go through. Not only did I have to save a business in four days from bankruptcy and help it make its payroll, which is an extraordinary story to tell in the book. um, But I had to survive. And then I also had to find myself again. And I also had to realize through the whole cathartic process I went through that, I had been the guy the whole time. 
Sounds like a really stressful situation, though. It was at the moment. <laughs> well, how do you, how do you I mean, do it? I had four days to save a company from bankruptcy. I was going to say four days and you got bankruptcy right there. And Yeah. I mean, he he literally said, he said, you're not going to make payroll. It will take the company right into bankruptcy and drag all the companies down into bankruptcy. Damn. I mean, that's, you know, I couldn't, I don't know what I would th- could have on my head there thinking about that type of decision making and that type of stress. I mean, how, how do you deal with stress though? I mean, being in... You know, after a while in business, it's kind of like being a dad. I think, you know, fathers are really good at this. They just ride it out. They just, they just grit their teeth and go, get me through another day. Yeah. And you just, you just, you just man up, take it on the chin and you just work through it. And that's kind of what, that's kind of where you come, become in business too. You just, after a while, you're just like, okay, whatever. I mean, at the moment that that happened, uh, he tried to quit a year earlier, so I, I kind of knew that we were uh, having some issues. And I talked him into staying with the company, which I shouldn't have done. I discussed that in the book. But, you know, it it for I had about five minutes to, to cry about it and not really cry, but just sit there and go, what the yeah. ever live in what? And, you know, I had a moment where I I had to make a decision. I had to go, do I crumble? Do I let him win? Do I give up or do I fight? And it's just one of those things in me that I've had since I was very young that if you put me in a battle situation, I will fight. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, like yeah. that's what we talked about this a little earlier. Yeah, you got to keep yeah. fighting, man. To get where you, <laughs> get, yeah, to get where you want to be. I mean, if you have a set goal in life, I mean, yeah, yeah. just like we just said, you got you to gotta fight or just lay there and take your beating, but. Yeah. And there was, there wasn't any time to sit around and cry. I had, uh, I literally stayed up for, I think for 40 hours straight drinking tons of coffee, Mountain Dew. And I, I, you know, I knew nothing about his side of the business. He'd been running it for 13 years. Uh, I'd started it, but, uh, I turned it over to him after a couple of years and I had to go relearn everything, get reacquainted with all the employees, um, and, uh, the customers and, and find out what, you know, what sort of stuff he'd done. But uh, it's an extraordinary story, and it's a fun read. Um, all my different adventures that I go into using people enjoy. When you're when you're making these type of decisions at this level of uh, professionalism that you're at, do you find yourself, you know, just through situations and life experiences? Okay, I know what to do in this type of situation. I'm, I'm going to make X decision, or do you know, it's like you don't want to make it on the fly. I want to go sit and think about this for a couple of days and then work out pros and cons to what way I can know how to make the best decision for myself and whatever companies I'm leading at the time. I'm usually a focus group sort of guy. Okay. Now, if it's a, if it's something that I have experience on and I've done it really a lot and I just kind of know what to do, I mean, I can, I can build a business in, in, you know, just the basics of it, you know, filing and all that stuff. I can do that in my head. I can do that in my sleep. But, um, you know, unless I know exactly what to do uh, and I'm I'm not sure about something, I use what I call a virtual board of directors that I talk about in the book where I ping lots of different entrepreneurs. I have, you know, a huge audience and a lot of friends. And sometimes I'll ask people on Facebook, I'll be like, ah, I have this idea on this or I'm yeah. dealing with this issue. What do you guys all think about? It? And it's really interesting. <laughs> the great thing about social media is you can use it as a collective focus group. And, uh, you know, we did that with the cover of the book. I, I published a couple different covers we'd worked on as a, what do you guys think of this? You know, and they all threw tomatoes and, <laughs> and I'm, I'm like, well, great. I thought, I thought it was awesome. <laughs> what do I know? Uh, you know, I, 
I'm the only one who buy the book cover, evidently. <laughs> so, uh, you know, we went through about four or five iterations of tomato and egg throwing. And, uh, you know, it's it, over time, it got to be where, okay, 50% eggs and 50% people said it's great. Um, and then we, you know, we finally tuned in, but I'm really big on, on doing that and polling people and asking people. And then sometimes I just kind of get a feel for what they're thinking. And I, and I, you know, sometimes I might be like, well, you're stupid and wrong, but, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, I'll eventually get enough feedback to where I can go. I think I know what's best. Mm-hmm. And, uh, usually I'll make that choice of what's best in the end. Yeah. I've always liked doing that myself is that, you know, I like getting other people's ideas or opinions or whatever. But, you know, throughout life when I'm listening to lectures or, you know, even if I do something on the internet, I I like to take pearls and gems from it and just then, okay, Mm -hmm. you know, I understand not everyone's going to love this. I know everyone's going to hate, might hate it too, but in the end I'm happy with it. And, but I still feel like I picked up a nice pearls and gems from everyone's advice or opinion or what have you. So, but yeah, that was kind of cool that you actually threw it on the internet. Just I couldn't imagine what, you know, random stuff you may have been getting from people on there. Just, oh, yeah. You know, the internet just is brutal. They're not usually too bad. I have a pretty good group of people, but man, they were, they were really hard on the book cover. They, they were, they were uh, pretty brutal. There was a couple of book covers I really loved and they, wow, they just took them all apart. I don't know. I, I don't, I get it. I, I can understand that for <laughs> sure. I mean, it's just, well, just even like you said, you're like, man, this is badass. It's going to be awesome. All of a sudden, oh, oh, dude, the first one I loved. <laughs> First one I loved. And they're like, nah, that's a fiction book. And then I had a, you know, the concept of the book, we talk about beacons of leadership. And so to me, uh, a, a leader is much like a lighthouse who sits upon an, a peak and uh, everyone looks to the lighthouse to for communication of like, yeah, is it good? Is it bad? What do we do? How do we go? What do we avoid? Uh, you know, they look to the leader uh, who's like this pinnacle on this uh, cliff. It was like a lighthouse and the beacon sends forth a lot of different signals. And what a lot of people don't realize, uh, I don't think they realize as much as they do, um, is your employees, your children, everyone looks to you in a leadership position for how you operate, your morals, your ethics, your operational standards of belief systems and stuff. And they set their standards based upon who you are. And, you know, I think we've all had parents that well-meaning parents that, uh, you know, told us some little white lies. Some of them might be that Santa's for real. I hope I don't, I don't break anybody's uh, things here. <laughs> Folks, yeah, you just heard it here first. Yeah. And the Easter bunny <laughs> is for real. And of course they are, if you're under 10 right now. Um, but uh, <laughs> I could see some 30-year-old lady right now going, what? She's what? just screaming at her <laughs> radio. What the hell? <laughs> so, you know. I mean, they would tell you, you know, some little white lies mm-hmm. just to keep you in line as a kid because, you know, we're kids were a little crazy. And um, but after a while, you you know, like sometimes your parents would say, don't lie. Don't 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 lie, kid. Yeah. And then, you know, you catch their lies and you'd be like, wait a second. You're full of it. I <laughs> caught you lying and you tell me now you're a hypocrite. And so one of the things that I point out to people is that as a leader, you, you don't want to be a hypocrite. You yeah. need to live your values that you're espousing, the, you're broadcasting through your beacon to, to other people. You need to, you need to be mindful of what you're communicating to people, uh, whether it's your passion, your ethics, your trust, your morality, uh, inspiring other people and stuff. And so, uh, we talk about that in the book. And one of the other things I talk about is being a passionate leader and how to develop passion and, and caring about what you do and having that come across because people, 
follow a passionate leader. They'll follow a passionate leader off the cliff, um, especially if you've ever seen politics. Um, <laughs> but, but passion, I mean, you think about all the great passionate leaders, Steve Jobs getting up and giving passionate speeches, Martin Luther King, John F. Kennedy, you know, Churchill, oh, we shall go on to the end. We shall fight in the oceans. You know, we shall never surrender. You know, the, the power of the passion is what drives people and it gets people behind you. And whether you've been in the military or anything else, having that broad vision, those goals where, where you put forth the passion where people are fired up about, I'm doing something for my country. I'm doing something that's important. I'm saving freedom and democracy mm -hmm. and I'm willing to give my life for that. That is powerful. And if you could inspire people to go to that bigger vision, and give them a vision to work for. People will do almost anything for you and follow you almost anywhere. Uh, it's sometimes in the military, people will give their lives for the vision that they believe in for mm -hmm. this country and everything else. It's quite magnificent, beautiful, and sad at the same time. But, but to have that extraordinary leadership that you can give to people is the highest value uh, in my mind as a leader. So uh, I talk about some of those different aspects, how to develop them, how to do it. Now, I can be somebody like, you know, my father was, you know, he's a bit of a dictator. He was a good man, but we were awful kids. And, you know, he, he'd pull out the belt or start shaking the movies about, you want me to take this belt oh, off? Because you know what happens then? And, you know, you can lead by dictatorship or authoritarian rule where you can say, you do this or else. Yeah. But if you can touch people's heart and minds and inspire them and and, and infect them with your passion by being passionate, you can get people to do a whole lot more and they'll care and love you and follow you for it. Yeah, I agree. I feel like there's some cases now that, you know, just with so many things can come at a person all in their lifetime that's almost hard finding their passion now. And mm -hmm. that, you know, they're jumping around and say, oh, yeah, I want to be this today or I like this tomorrow. And then all of a sudden it's just, even, I mean, you could say me for an example. You're still like, I've asked myself before, like, what am I truly, truly passionate about? And I don't know if I could 100% give a true, honest answer. I mean, I have things I like, but it's like, am I, but then like, am I truly 100% passionate about it? So, yeah, yeah, I agree 100%. But when you find somebody, just like, you know, when you're talking about it right there, I'm just, you know, I'm getting kind of amped up. It's like, oh, man, this yeah, dude, yeah. Let's do it. Yeah, Let's get dude. amped up. Let's go. Uh, yeah. Let's go, Mudden. Yeah. Let's go. I'm, I'm, let's run um, through a brick wall through for you, man. So. Yeah. But, you know, you're passionate about your children. I, I assume you have children because I keep No, 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 no children. Two dogs. Oh, two dogs. Yeah, yeah, I thought yeah, I had yeah. kids in the back. No, right? one of Well, you're got... passionate about your dogs, yeah, right? Yeah, I, I am. Dogs, yeah, so. I am. Yeah, well, just except sometimes when I start doing this, they start getting a little annoying. Yeah. But, but you get you get passionate maybe about working out or your mother yeah, stuff. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And that's that's like hard to get fired up for. Mm -hmm. That's a lot of work. It is. Yeah, but being able to get that in, and you probably when you go to these events, you you're firing each other up and motivating each oh, yeah. other, and everyone's everyone's competing. You know, that's a good place to be. But that's the beautiful part about life too. And I kind of talk about that in the book. You've got to kind of go through a lot of these different experiences, and you try different things on. Life is a big catalog. You try things on. You go, eh, I don't like the way these jeans and shirt fits on me. Um, you know, I, uh, let's try this on. And you try that on for a while. It doesn't work. A lot of times in my businesses. I talk about this in the book. Um, you know, I didn't start as out, out like most entrepreneurs where I find a widget. It doesn't work for me. I go, eh, there's a better way to do this and make a better widget. And I'm like, this is cool. Probably other people will buy it. I'm really fired up about this because I made this. I was always uh, someone who built companies that I wasn't really interested in. They were just money makers for me. They were investments. And I like being CEO. I like being the boss. I like being the visionary. 
But other than that, I really didn't love what I did. I mean, it was in their curry business, the mortgage business, the the talent and uh, acting and modeling agency business, and a lot of other businesses in between. Wow. Um, but I didn't love any of them. Like, I wasn't passionate. Like, people would come in to me and go, it's great that you do what you love, Chris. And I don't love, I don't love any of this. Like, I don't like being the CEO. I like yeah. being the boss. I like being the guy who's who the buck stops here, like all the pressures on me. Like there's no one you can turn to and be like, Hey, can you take this? You, you'd be like, okay, I got to come up with the answers today or we're screwed. And I love that. I love the challenge of that and being able to beat it. I love to innovate, but I never loved anything. Um, probably up until recently when we, about a year or two ago, when we changed the, uh, when we changed my podcast to a different format and then I fell in love with it and I love the crap out of it. And uh, I like my book, too. I like my book. Beaconsofleadership.com, wherever great <laughs> fine books are sold. Uh, earlier, you said you were a rocker. Were, did, or have you been a musician, or were you just in love with the music? Or I, I was in love with the music, and for a while, I tried to play guitar. I bought a bunch of guitars and had the customizations made to them. And nice. I loved it, but I played piano as well. But I just, you know, after a while, you just go, look, you don't have a talent for this. I've done that with photography and a lot of different things in my journeys and adventures over the years where I've tried stuff on and. Like, this seems like it'll be fun. And then you're like, oh, this is more work than I <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. It's like photography I love. The editing part? Mm, Not so much. much. Same thing with writing a book. I was the, writing, <laughs> the writing part is actually really easy. I was going to bring it's up the, the same thing. It's the editing that just makes you want to. I remember my, my, I was kind of starting to lose my mind. I think most of my friends were like, you know, we might want you to have them committed. Cause I was spending like, you know, 12 hours a day editing the book and pre-editing the book for the editors and, you know, going through it and trying to structure it, you know, cause once it's on paper, it's kind of a puzzle and you got to go, well, should this part go over here? And, you know, sometimes it's really murky as to how to, you know, tell the whole story and everything you want to slam in there. And sometimes you gotta, you know, you gotta throw stuff out and go, yeah, save that yeah. for another book. And, um, you know, it's, it's a real struggle, but the editing, uh, you know, I, I would call up my friends and be like, you know what, I'm going to throw this whole thing in the toilet, 60,000 words. I don't care anymore. I'm just done. Wow. And they, fortunately, my author friends I surrounded myself with, they're like, listen, when you reach this point, you're almost there. You're almost, when you're ready, when you're just ready to, you know, jump off a cliff, you're, you're almost there. Just hang on, just get through it. Just power through, man. Just, you know, and, and one of the aspects I always use and one of the things I always remind myself is, and, and, and in moments like we talked about earlier, like my uh, friend pulling the rug out on our companies, uh, sometimes you look at the elephant and it's big. And I always just use the concept of just eat the elephant one bite at a time. Just take a bite and chew and just take a bite and chew mm. and just keep trying to <laughs> in there and eventually that elephant will probably be gone or you'll die one of the two elephant overdose so for somebody thing? Yeah, i don't know i've never heard that but i kind of like it though. Google that. <laughs> yeah. uh people are probably again screaming right now that's not even a thing that's not a thing what's this guy talking about but no um I we'll mean, be next week <laughs> so taking one bite of the elephant at a time would that be some good advice you would give up to an up-and-coming entrepreneur somebody who'd want to follow your yeah. lead and just yeah. Say, hey, that's what I want to do. I want to be my own boss. Yeah. I want to run, be CEO of my own companies. 
Yeah. I lay out how I went through the process because I, you know, I didn't like set out to be like, I'm an entrepreneur. In fact, back when I did it, you know, no one did entrepreneur stuff. It was like, what, what are you doing? And, um, I didn't, even when I started my company and started my business card, I thought, that's cool. I have a business card with my name on it. Uh, I didn't really even understand what I was doing or how things were working. Um, but I lay out the process that I go through and the foundational process of becoming an entrepreneur, what the experience was like, how my headspace was. In fact, I didn't realize it, but early on in child in my childhood, I'd been an entrepreneur and I've been acquiring clients and selling deals and stuff. I just had no idea. I mean, mowing lawns and having a clientele for mowing lawns. That was an entrepreneurial business. Mm-hmm. I had no idea. No one ever. Yeah. I was just trying to make five bucks mowing lawns. I mean, I just, you know, that was for those days gone of those days um but uh i think i think the last time i uh i think the last time i that was my stomach sorry i i'm uh, probably hungry uh, <laughs> no it was a dog's ball yeah, yeah you gotta love dogs um but uh you know early on i i was doing entrepreneurial stuff and didn't know about it but i talk about it in the book and, and the book is written to help two types of people um and really just anybody but You know, if you're a CEO leadership position, if you're in big corporation, great. You can learn a lot of stuff in this book about vision and leadership. If you're a self-entrepreneur, employed entrepreneur, just starting out, or maybe you're in your midst of it, I share a lot of great entrepreneurial lessons and stuff. And I put them all together in what I call the CEO toolkit. At the end of every chapter, I surmise some of the different aspects, the key aspects to take from it. At the end of the book, we have a big summary. It's my CEO toolkit of all the different, you know, Things I would always use whenever I, you know, oh, the, this isn't working. Get the wrench out of there. That mm-hmm. that wrench that does that one thing. Go back to basics. You know, whatever it was. And uh, so it gives them that. And then, of course, if you're just just a person who's not a leader or doesn't feel like they're a leader, there's a lot of great stuff in the book that that hopefully will inspire people. And you know, if you learn to inspire passion other people, to communicate well, to operate with integrity and trust, you can you can become a leader. People will follow you. Um, you know, I have a lot of people follow me on social media because I talk a lot. I share a lot. I'm I'm very passionate about what I believe in. It's, and some people disagree with me on whatever it is, but they follow me anyway because of that passion. They go, you know, I don't. Chris is full of it sometimes, mm-hmm. but he's really interesting to watch and follow. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, there's a lot of like people hate follow you just because they want to see what you're mm-hmm. doing or keep up with you. Yeah. But and they, but still, I mean, it was like when you talked about Howard Stern. A little bit ago, a lot he had a lot of you know haters, but they still followed him just because they wanted to see what he was going to say next. You know, I've actually caught somebody, and I think it's saved somewhere, but I actually caught two people tweeting with each other on on uh, Twitter, and they were tweeting like, "I really hate Chris Voss and his stupid noise. He's always talking about something." The other person's like, "Yeah, I hate Chris Voss too. He's really annoying. He's got a big mouth." And the other person goes, yeah, but I still follow him because I want to see what happens when he finally hits the wall and crashes the car. And I'm like, cool, man. <laughs> yeah, Keep on the ride. Thanks it's for a matter that. Of time. Thanks for that. And you know, now it's been like 13 years. They're still waiting. So yeah, yeah. starting to disappoint. I like that. You still giving them some shit burgers to eat. Yeah, there's, there's still time. So. <laughs> <laughs> no, nah, I don't say that. Well, you said it. You know, earlier back when you did it, you know, talking about entrepreneurship and stuff, was the model back then just, hey, you know, go to high school, go to college, get a job mm-hmm. and do that. And then, if, but if yep. you went outside the box, was it almost looked down upon that, oh, you're not going oh, to college, yeah. you'll never like, be. like, what are you doing? You're never going to make it. And I, I, added, 
I had to actually make a choice. I signed up for with my Pell Grant to the University of Utah to go to school there. And I was going to go to school. And it came down to where college was almost started. I had the classes set. And I had this new business I was making all this money at, at least, you know, for a kid. And uh, I was like, what do I do? And I, I knew I hated school. I talk about that in the book and my complications of school and being ADHD. And, and I just had to make a decision to cancel college hmm. or not cancel college. And I decided to cancel it and then self-educate myself. Uh, and I basically gave myself my own sort of MBA, the way I, the structure, the way I wanted to it. I started subscribing to Harvard Business Review and getting all their lessons and stuff. So I found a way around college where I was still getting like college level stuff. And, uh, but I focused on what I wanted to do to become a CEO of a major multi-million dollar corporation. And, uh, I'm just like, I, I'm just going to focus on learning that. Like, I don't need to learn arts and history, although there is a lot of value in that, uh, in learning that. And, uh, you know, looking back, I think if I would have had more money or, I don't know, I had rich parents and, you know, go to college, I, maybe it would be different. Who knows? But um, I made the decision to pull off of that. And, yeah, it was really hard back then because no one did that. Now everyone's an entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. What, one key thing that I, I should mention is the stories that I tell in this book. These aren't entrepreneur-level stuff like what we do now where you go on GoDaddy for 20 bucks, you buy a website, you – post a bunch of crap on there about how you're like, I'm in business now. And then you just start accepting payments on PayPal <laughs> for coaching or something. Yeah. Now I, the stories that I give you about starting companies, our first company, we started with $2,000. The a year and a half later, we started a second one with $4,000. We turned them both into multi-million companies. They're profitable in two, three months. These are brick and mortar companies. These are companies where you had to go buy an office, sign a lease for three years, put down a deposit, Go buy a bunch of office equipment, call the phone company to have the phone company come in and install the lines. And then after you get your business licensing and approval from whatever authority you got to get, then you can start making money. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It wasn't like now where you're just like, oh, I'm GoDaddy. I got a little dot com of business. I'm not frowning on that, but I'm just saying this, this is lessons I share with you in the book. This is like really hardcore business stuff. Uh, even today, if you're starting a you know brick and mortar business, I mean, it's tough and it's, it's capital intensive before you start making a buck. I like how you said a few minutes ago that you just, you, you started subscribing to the Harvard review and mm-hmm. just to keep yourself educated. Is there things you still do today that, or how do you stay up to date and keep your best practices and principles and keep yourself, you know, what's going on? Um, podcast, you know, writing papers. the book really helped me bring a lot of uh, my memories back of the, all my toolbox that I used to use um, on my podcast. Uh, we, we have a lot of authors on the show mm-hmm. and many of them are business. And so they educate me. Uh, you know, I, I just, I, I have a lot of business people around me. So I network with a lot of business people uh, and authors and stuff. And so, so I have people that I can go to when I have when I have uh, when I have questions or problems or different jams that I'm in or different visions I'm thinking about. I'm thinking about doing this, you know, and having that sounding board of a lot of people around you that can you can talk to is really important, especially when they're at that level as well. I like that. Yeah. Uh, well, one thing that you said earlier was that uh, crap. I just lost my train of thought. So you and <laughs> so like for example. You wouldn't ask me, you know, how to be a better mutter. I mean, you know, look at my face and you know, kind of. Well, no, I mean, you know, when you bounce. said you, you you went and uh, you were doing intermediate fasting, and that's something I've been yeah. really interested in and yeah. I've been trying. So yeah, I would yeah. definitely ask you that. So question. I could help you with the fasting part, yeah. but the intermittent mutter, I wouldn't. 
but you probably have all these people around you that can help you when you want to be a better mutter or, you know, do different events better or weightlift or work mm-hmm. out. You know, you have all those people that you go to. And a lot of people fail at, at going into business because they start, you know, they go into business or they're trying to start a business and, you know, their mother-in-law or their mom or their brother or their sister is telling them, oh, what you're doing is stupid. And, uh, you know, I don't, I don't understand what you're trying to do. You don't listen to those people. You don't, uh, you don't get business advice from them. You go find people that are mutually successful or that maybe they're higher than you in life. And you're like, Hey, can you help me? Can you mentor me? Uh, uh, these days you can hire coaches. I would have loved to have hired a coach back then. Uh, but these days you can hire coaches to go, you know, here's what you need to do. You need to do this. You know, you can even hire me to consult if you want. Um, but, uh, you know, there's all sorts of resources and the internet, holy crap, you can go on YouTube and search for stuff. But the main th- uh, point is, is, you know, go to people that have the experience and knowledge. Don't, don't ask some guy, you know, how do I fix a car? And he works in the plumbing department. Yeah. yeah. Now you just sparked what I was getting ready to say. Yeah. But th- I agree with you there that well, I once heard that you're the average of the five people you hang out with the most. And, and that's always stuck with me, but. You know, one thing uh, that I was getting ready to ask you or just make a statement was that, you know, today, you know, we have so much resources at our hand just with the Internet as far as, you know, YouTube and everything you said. And that was part of the reason that I don't know who said this in the past. I'm not going to even try to pronounce his names because I'll butcher it. But that was part of the reason of going to college, because at that time, that was where all your resources and books were. And that's where obviously you learn. But today you can, you know, you with the Internet, you can have anything you want to at any given moment and just start learning from there. Yeah, so, yeah. As long as you don't have an OnlyFans, they're shutting that down. Yeah. Really, so, you know, so, so yeah, sorry for those. But, <laughs> uh, but and that was another question I wanted to ask you is that you said two years ago that you changed your podcast format. Or I think it was two years yeah. ago you said that, and you did, yeah. but you fell back in love with it. Yeah. So what did you do to? You know, it was, an, it was one of those adversity moments that we talked about earlier. It's a, it's kind of a great story, actually. Maybe you should put it in the book. So I was, uh, you know, I do a lot of events, or I did a lot of events up until COVID. You know, CES shows, South by Southwest. We use the the podcast to go out and do what we call remotes. So we go out to events and we interview people and uh, we have sponsors and different things for the Chris Voss show. And uh, so, you know, we'd, we'd, we'd make money doing that. And uh, it was really cool. Um, you know, plus you get to go to events, have fun with your friends at, at uh, you know, South by Southwest. Uh-huh. And uh uh, so we were doing that. And then all of a sudden all the events just blew up. Like I just watched like a lot of money just disappear in March of 2020 and, uh, everything went crazy with it. And I, and I literally just watched money burn up and smoke as events got canceled. And I'm like, wow. Okay. There goes one of my revenue streams and a major revenue stream. And I was really depressed because I'd gone through the 2008 crisis and I talk in the book about how I survived that and roses of Phoenix from the ashes with that loss. And I, I took in, uh, I took in, uh, I, I, I was really depressed. I'm like, Oh my God, another 2008 recession. And seriously, again, after 10 years. So one of my friends that posted on Facebook, he said, you have two choices right now. Here's what you do. You either be a lifter or you find a lifter. And just like I talked to you about earlier, I sat and said, okay, find a lifter or be a lifter. What do I want to be? Well, what are my assets? So that's what I did. I said, what are my assets in this moment? What, what, what do I have left? COVID hasn't taken away from me. I have my health. 
and I have a podcast and a lot of people listen to me. So I have the ability to inspire them with that podcast. So I said, I said, uh, okay, so I'm going to be a lifter. And it was really hard if you go back and listen to about the first five episodes, cause I'm cracking up and I'm having a hard time, but I'm, I'm trying to dig in my toolbox from 2008 and tell people what they should do right now. And maybe this is, you know, 2008, I lost all my companies and I had to rebirth, refine myself again and refine some companies at work. And it was hard because nothing was working <laughs> economy wise. Like everything I would start, we just, you know, that is going nowhere. No one's spending money, money. And so, uh, but it was a great time to become an entrepreneur. And this is probably a time that we're going to have more entrepreneurs coming out of this time than ever before. And so I, I, uh, that's what I did. And so I decided to be a lifter and I, up until then, the podcast for 12 years had been 11 years had been, uh, us interviewing business tech people and mm-hmm. CEOs. And I kind of gotten really burnt out on it because it, it was just kind of the same old, same old, oh, you start another startup. Okay, great. And it's got an app and, you know, it just, it just wasn't my thing. And I was like, I want to talk about life and everything because some, you know, life matters and coronavirus kind of taught us all that. Hopefully that life matters and it can be taken away in a heartbeat, uh, or in a pandemic. So I thought I want to do something that changes the world better and, and, and interests me from a lot of different perspectives because I, I track a lot of things. And so I said, you know what? We're going to. There were some people who were coming to me going, hey, we want to put our author on our show for a book. And I'm like, eh, that's not a business book. We don't do that. And I was like, screw it. We're going to take authors that write about everything. We're going to have them on the show, except for romantic authors. And there's only so many times I can hear about <laughs> sex on the beach. Oh, they had like, I can't do that interview. Like, oh, they had sex on the beach again? Who saw that coming? Um, but uh, so we opened up the show to all sorts of authors. And across them, uh, there was the... Um, there was the George Floyd racial thing that, that came up uh, oh, through yeah. that year. And so we had a lot of authors, Eddie Glaude Jr., um, a lot of great authors that talked about that. James Baldwin uh, talked about James Baldwin that were written about James Baldwin, racial sort of issues. Um, just everything from all walks of life, even novelists were having novels on were fun to talk about the fictional books they wrote and how they did it. And to me, it just, it was just more, a lot more fun. And we had, uh, we had a lot of great people from all the different journalists and stuff. My vision was to get all the newspaper journalists I saw on TV and everything on the show all the time. And, uh, yeah. And so now I love it. I really love the crap out of it. I enjoy getting on it every day and going, what am I going to learn today? And what I love about it is I'm a front row seat with somebody who's an author and they've spent tens of thousands of hours doing research. And I get to ask all the questions that no one gets to ask. And, and, and dig into their brains and find out, you know, what, what, what did you learn? And so to me, that's just fun. So it's like having a front row teacher coach who's in front of you and you get to ask all the questions. And we've had people on the show that, you know, their, their road through life has been quite extraordinary. And sometimes my questions get to be really unique that you wouldn't see on any other show because I've watched them. And so, uh, I get to ask like the questions that I don't get to see. Like I've seen you on television a million times, but no one's ever asked you this. And mm-hmm. this is what I always wanted to know. So, you know, I like that, Chris, you know, you said, you know, you just talk about your podcast and you said life matters. And I think that's beautiful. And I say, we end this yeah. on a good note and take this one home on that. There you go. Let's yeah. do it. Um, so before we get off here, if anybody wants to find you, find your book, how do they do that? Tell them right now. 
Best way to order the book is go to beaconsofleadership.com. We've got all these goodies on there, uh, collector's limited edition, uh, these little book plates that you can take and get that people collect, uh, entrance into mastermind groups, you know, all sorts of free stuff that the same price, if you buy it on Amazon, books, Barnes and Noble or any other place, you're, you're just going to get the book. But if you buy it from beaconsofleadership.com, you get all this, uh, wonderful goodies that are on there. You can also see me in the podcast on the chrisvossshow.com. That's great, man. Uh, well, everyone, um, I thought, I think that's all I have today, Chris. So unless you, you have go. anything else, uh, like I said, we'll take it home. There you go. Thank you for having me on the show. Hey. And guys, make sure you subscribe to Chris's show and you give it great reviews. I appreciate that. Yeah, this was great. This was a great conversation. I'm glad you, I'm glad you made the time for this. This was fun. Thank you so, for having me. All right. Thank you. All right. Bye, everybody. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park